sesame or something like that. It's not. It's, it's not. It's far more powerful than that. I was actually just thinking about it in the prayer meeting this morning in there. And the Bible says that when Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, and because of that, the Father has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth. And every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, we need to understand the authority and power that is in the name of Jesus. So I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. John chapter 16, Jesus again speaking to his disciples. He said, this is what I want you to do. Ask the Father for whatever is in keeping with the things I've revealed to you. Ask in my name according to my will, and he'll most certainly give it to you. Your joy will be a river overflowing its banks. So I think what Jesus is saying here is, you know, when you ask in my name, he, he actually defines it. And he says, according to my will, and in keeping with the things I've revealed to you. He's, he's actually qualifying it. He's qualifying what it means to ask in his name. I think Understanding the meaning of the word name actually helps us a little bit here because it's possible to take it for granted and just think, oh, you know, what's, what's in a name? We hear that saying, don't we? What's in a name? It just doesn't, it's just words. It doesn't mean it's not true. It's not true. The name of Jesus is something powerful. Now, it's important we get a hold of this this morning, folks, because I know there are people, I've met people even in Australia, it's common overseas in some parts of the world, South America in particular. But I've met people in Australia who have that as their first name. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that. We're talking about understanding what's behind that name. In fact, in the original language where it uses the word name, it says, ask in my name. If you look at the original in, in the Greek, it's onoma, and it means the manifestation or revelation of one's character that is as distinguishing them from all others. So to, to use someone's name, it means that you know what's behind that. You understand the heart of that person, and you know what distinguishes them from all others. Like, so we're not just talking about words on a page or words that you can say. Uh, I said before that Jesus authorized his disciples to use his name. What does that mean? What does it mean to be authorized? I think it means being sent. It means being sent. And in John 21, Jesus said these words again to his disciples, his followers. He said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so also I'm sending you. That's, that's a pretty incredible authorization. If we can put that up on the screen, that'd be good. As, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. That's like authorization at the highest level. Jesus is saying, I've been sent by the Father, and now I'm passing that on. As the, there's a flowing through of authority, a flowing through of a calling, and I'm sending you. I'm sending you as well. I remember for, um, for, for many years I worked for a, a large uh, mining manufacturing company in, in Toowoomba here, and... Uh, engineering company. One, one of the roles that was, was there was called customer service technician. I, I was never in that role myself, but, but 
there were quite a lot of people that, that had that title and that role. And, and they used to go out all over the world and, and uh, they would be, you know, um, a lot of mine sites in the world are located in some of the most inhospitable, far-flung places you can ever imagine, like you know, the coldest places in Alaska and the top of mountains that are so far, so high you can hardly breathe there, things like that. And so these people would go out into these remote places and they'd have to solve incredibly technical problems, you know, in very uh, uh, difficult conditions. And here's the point. They went there as a representative of the company. And they carried with them the ethos and the values of the company. It's the ultimate customer-facing role to be in that difficult situation and to know what to do and to do it with, a, with grace and with, you know, with a great attitude. So um, they, were, they were an extension of the company. They were authorized. They were absolutely authorized to act on behalf of the company in those situations. So, so being authorized, it means being sent, but it also means to come under the authority of. And I, I think about that. You know, I, and I, I wonder because how is it with that? You know, wh- why do we have so much trouble coming under the authority of people today? I, I, I don't mean, just think, think about your own life here. Why do we have so much trouble with this? I think there's still a small part of each one of us that says, I want to do it my way. I just want to do it my way. But being authorized means to come under the authority of someone else. What is, um, let, let me get into this now. Authorization matters. And here's why. I want to share with you. Authorization matters. And here's a little, here's a little quote that you can take home. Trying to do God's work without His power is presumptuous. That means it's based on assumptions. It's futile, doesn't work. And it can even be dangerous. And we'll give you some examples from the Bible. Because the Bible gives a lot of, like talks about this quite a bit. Um, that amazing character Samson in the Old Testament discovered this. He found out about this. He'd been greatly used by God. You, many of you know the story of Samson. He knew about uh, God and Samson had a vow that his hair was never to be cut. And uh, so his hair was very long. And uh, I wasn't really thinking about you, Rick, when I... Well, I was nearly thinking of getting you up as an example here. Amazing amazing hair. But um, Samson's would have been a lot longer than that, I think. But Samson had this vow that his hair was never to be cut. And while he kept that vow, it seemed there was no limit to the power of God that would flow through him. I mean, there was one day when, when uh, in the middle, this is a military context, okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about death and destruction here, but in a military context, he took the jawbone of a donkey and it says he killed a thousand people. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're into action movies, this would just take that all, this would blow all that away. This is an amazing action movie scene. He just did, he killed a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. Like Samson had this amazing... Um, authority and power from God to do what God was doing at that time. But unfortunately, the time came when he was betrayed by one of his friends through his own foolishness. He was betrayed and he gave away, he disclosed the secret of his strength, that it was his hair that hadn't been cut. And so while Samson was asleep, his enemies came in and they cut off his hair. And here's the point that I'm coming to here. Samson's hair was cut off and he lost his authority. He lost his power with God. And so 
Samson woke up and the enemies were there and Samson said, oh, I will just go out and shake myself like at other times. He was unaware that he'd lost it, but he had lost the authority and power in his life. And unfortunately, he had a tragic end after that because, because of that. So Samson wasn't aware, but he lost it. Uh, he lost the authorization to use God's power. Now, that's a, a very natural kind of a thing. Uh, this, that's not a, a necessarily saying that we should all grow our hair long. Uh, I, I would have a bit of trouble with that. But um, anyway, that's one example from the Bible about someone who was trying to do God's work without God's power. Here's another great example from the New Testament from the book of Acts, and it just, I'm just going to read this scripture out, Acts 19. It says, some uh, itinerant Jewish it's exorcists, it's, it's an example about some people who tried to uh, uh, cast out demons. They were trying to be like the Apostle Paul, because on Paul's missionary trips and missionary journeys around, he would come across people that were affected by evil spirits, that were controlled by the enemy, by the devil. And so uh, he would, in the name of Jesus, would cast them out. And some people tried to do that, but never had his authority. So some itinerant Jewish exorcists, who happened to be in town at the time, tried their hand at what they assumed to be Paul's game. They pronounced the name of the master Jesus over victims of evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus preached by Paul. So it was, it was like a, a third hand or a second hand kind of thing. They thought that because Paul could do that, use the name of Jesus, they assumed that they could. Let's go to the next one. The seven sons of Sceva, a, a Jewish high priest, were trying to do this on a man when the evil spirit talked back to them. He said, I know Jesus, I know Jesus, and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? And then the possessed man went berserk and jumped. This would also be pretty good in a movie, action movie. And jumped the exorcists, beat them up and tore off their clothes. And so naked and battered, they got away as best they could. So these, these uh, men thought that they could exercise the same authority as the Apostle Paul because they could use like an abracadabra, sort of a, a magic word. This is the magic word, they thought. It's not like that. It's not like a magic. We're trying to do God's work without God's authority. And I want to give you this morning, friends, quickly, just two keys to moving in the authority of Jesus and using the name of Jesus as the Bible gives it to us. And so uh, number one is having a close relationship with Him. I'm calling it an intimate today relationship with God an intimate today relationship with God. When you've got this, when you when you've got that kind of relationship with God and you know that you know you're you're spending time in his presence. You're spending time with him and you you can hear his voice and you know his heartbeat. It's about knowing the heartbeat of God. It's about when you when you've got that, what happens is you you can begin to speak for him. You can begin to speak on behalf of God. When you got that relationship with Jesus and you speak to the enemy. It might be sickness. It might be oppression. It might be fear. It might be 
some sort of obstacle. It might even be poverty that's trying to take over your life. And you speak to those things, those enemies. You can use the name of Jesus. What happens is when you've got that kind of relationship with God, what happens is when you speak, it's the same as Jesus speaking because you know what He would say. You know what Jesus would say in that situation. If you don't have that kind of relationship, it's just you speaking and it's not the same. It's not the same. In a close relationship with the father, you begin to understand his heart. It's like the prodigal son. When the prodigal son came home, what did the father do to him, do for him? The first thing or one of the first things he did was to get a ring and put on his finger you know, that wasn't like, a, wasn't like a leg rope to say, well, no, no, you can't ever leave again. What it was, was there was a signet ring. And that symbolized status and position within that household. What it meant was, I'm authorizing you now to act on my behalf. And it wasn't, it wasn't a reward for his recent behavior. You know, if you know the story of the prodigal son, you know that it wasn't that. It definitely wasn't a reward for his behavior. But the father, because he had that relationship, he authorized him to act on his behalf. So that's what it means in a close relationship with the father. I just, I love that story. I could, I could get up here every Sunday and talk to you about the prodigal son because I just, I just think it's so central to our understanding of who God is and how he works with us. That he doesn't judge us based on our, our life but he just calls us into a loving relationship with himself. When we know his heart, we begin to understand his heart. Things begin to happen. In Jeremiah 33, there's a great scripture. It says, Ask of me, and I'll tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. And what the Father is saying, what God is saying is, there's a kind of relationship where you can come to me and talk to me, and I'm going to give you tell you things. I'm going to show you things you couldn't learn. You couldn't know any other way. It's important for us to know, folks, that there are things happening around us in the spiritual realm that unless we hear it from God, we're not going to know about it any other way. We live so much, don't we, in the natural realm. I don't know about you, but you know, we, we, we see the things that we see visibly around us, and we think that's the real world. But I want to tell you, there's a spiritual dimension, a spiritual world out there that's just as real. It's even more real. You just can't see it necessarily. But sometimes in the prophetic realm, God, and in dreams and visions, God begins to open up and pull the curtains back, and you begin to see what God sees. You begin to see God's and get something of God's understanding. That's what the prophetic is really about. It's seeing a little bit, a tiny bit of what God sees and what God knows. That's why we need to keep a humble heart about that. And I'm not particularly talking about the prophetic this morning, but we need to understand that whatever we see and whatever we know, we're only getting a fragment, a figment, a little bit of God's knowledge about the future and about what's really happening in our world. Psalm 27 verse 8 says, I heard your, your voice in my heart say, come seek my face. My inner being responded, Yahweh or Father or God, I'm seeking your face with all my heart. He's talking about a relationship with the Father. He's talking about a, an, an intimacy and a closeness of relationship where he could reach out and where he could be in God's presence. I was thinking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in this context in this, um, of, of the name of Jesus. And 
the context of supernatural knowledge. You know, someone might say, well, I just thought that, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were just distributed and handed out, you know, by the Holy Spirit as according to His will. Of course, that's absolutely true, of course. And, you, you know, there's nothing you can do to earn them. You don't earn the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You don't earn them. But here's the thing. The Bible says we do have to desire them. We do have to go after them. We do have to want them. And those key passages in the book of 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit and all the, the way they operate, he's got in 1 Corinthians 12, desire the most helpful gifts. And in verse chapter 14, ask God for the gifts that will be of real help to the church. In uh, verse 13, pray also for the gift of interpretation. So he's saying you've got to go after these things. You've got to get before God and go into His presence. And I, I want to say here, you might see someone that you think is a really gifted kind of a person. And that's wonderful. That's awesome. Someone who, someone who moves more freely in those things and who's like, that's tapping into a, a supernatural element of God's understanding and God's heart. You might think, well, that's great. I wish I had their gifts. You, we need to know this, friends, that, that those gifts have been honed in the prayer closet with God. It didn't just happen. God began to reveal things and show them, but they spent a lot of time with God in His presence. So friends, an intimate today relationship with God and with Jesus is the first thing to uh, having the authority of using His name. Second thing is obedience. Obedience. And um, it's one thing to know what God's heartbeat is, but the, but the question is, am I going to align myself with God's will for my life? Am I going to get, in, get on board with what God is saying and God is doing in my life? In 2 Samuel, when David had become king, uh, when, shortly after he became king, actually, um, it says there that their enemies, the, the Philistines, marshaled a huge army and they came against David and they were going to wipe him out. And so David went straight into prayer. And he, and he said, God, what should I do? You know, should I attack the Philistines? Will you, will you give them into my hand? Will you give them to me? You know? And so God said to David, yes, attack them. Surely I will give them to you. And so David just led his army out and they attacked the Philistines and they overcame them. And it was a great military victory. It was a, an incredible victory. And, and David said these words that you might have heard. Uh, sometimes we use this, this language that, David said, the Lord did it. He burst through my enemies like a raging flood. And he named that place Baal Perizim, which means the Lord who burst through or the, the Lord of the breakthrough. Uh, we, we use that language sometimes. But what happened is after a while, the Philistines came back again. They came back. They got their army going again and they came back to have another go at David. And uh, David and, and the people of God. And so they, they spread out across the valley again. And, uh, and again, David went to prayer. And he said, God, what should I do? And I think this is really interesting because it would have been so easy for David to make an assumption that, well, you know what happened last time? God told me to go and attack them and, I'll, and you know, he would, I would win the battle. David didn't assume that. He went back to God and said, God, what should I do this time? And God said, no, don't do that. And God gave him a different strategy. Go around behind them. He said, when you hear the sound of marching in the top of the mulberry trees. Or some translations say the willow trees. When you hear that, 
you're going to know that God's angels and the armies of heaven are with you. So do that. He did it. And again, they had a a great victory. So I, I can see two themes coming out in this whole story. Number one is hearing from God. And number two is being obedient to God. I love this verse in John chapter 15. Jesus again talking to his disciples. I was going to ask the creative team if they can come back right now. Jesus talking to his disciples and he said, You are my friends when you do the things I command you. No longer calling you servants because a servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've called you friends. I've named you friends because I let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. So you can see the same two themes there, hearing from God. See, you are my friends when you do the things I command you. Hearing from God and obedience. They're the two things that are keys to being able to use the name of Jesus and to having His authorization to use His name. I wonder if we can begin to sing. There's a great song. Uh, we've sung it before called There is Power in the Name of Jesus. And I, I, as we sing this song through, it's only just a little chorus, but as we sing it through, I, I want us just to take a hold of this this morning in your own life and just uh, let God speak into your own heart right now. There is power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.